0: This episode of Kitchen Club is kindly sponsored by Simprove, a unique water-based food supplement that contains four strains of live and active bacteria.
2: We've both been taking Simprove for a good few years. And as we all know, it's so very important to look after yourself from the inside out and support our gut health. I actually visited the Simprove farm a couple of years ago and was genuinely blown away by how much research has gone into this product. So it's so wonderful that they're sponsoring.
0: If you don't know about Simprove, it is a drink containing carefully selected strains of live and active bacteria to help support a healthy tum. It comes in original or mango and passion fruit flavor and 70 mils is taken first thing in the morning on an empty stomach before eating or drinking. Then you simply wait 10 minutes and carry on with the rest of your day. If you'd like
2: to try Improve for yourself, then Kitchen Club listeners can use the code Kitchen Club 15 for 15% off a 12-week pack. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to Kitchen Club with me, Sarah
0: Malcolm, and my sensational friend, Serena Louth. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from the kitchen table. Each week, we have a brilliant new guest, a whole new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a brand new recipe which is created using our guest's three favorite ingredients. Today's guest is Michael James Wong. Michael is the founder
2: of Just Breathe and a leading voice in the global movement for modern mindfulness. He is an author, speaker, community leader and meditation teacher who is dedicated to expanding the conversation around the mind and mental health. Michael is internationally recognized for his work in the wellness community as both an advocate and entrepreneur. He writes books about hope and is the voice behind the brilliant Just Breathe meditation app.
0: We speak to Michael about the importance of bringing men into the self-care and wellness space how the physical practice of yoga is just a teeny tiny element of a yoga practice and simple steps and tools for bringing meditation into our lives.
2: So here is the absolute fountain of wisdom, Michael James Wong on Kitchen Club. Michael James Wong, welcome to Kitchen Club. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, good. Doing well, doing well. You've had a busy few weeks launching your wonderful new book. Yeah, it's been a nice
1: few weeks, just kind of seeing everything come to life. It's one of those projects that you kind of work on, you put a lot of yourself into, you spend a lot of time kind of sitting with it, and then you kind of give it away to the publishing gods for six months and then it comes back around and then it gets released. So it's been nice to kind of revisit it and kind of to to see it again with fresh eyes and to hear what everyone's saying about it and um, sharing it out there.
2: Yeah, your new baby is born into the world. Mm.
0: And Sarah, do you want to explain how you know Michael? Because I haven't met Michael before, but you guys go back a a while now.
2: Yeah, so before, well, let, yeah, let's give a backstory before we get into this amazing episode. Um, Michael, when did we meet? Was it seven years ago? It was,
1: it was something like that, and it was at a wellness festival, I yeah. think, where I was there doing a talk, and you were there doing something, and we got introduced <laughs> through mutual friends, and it was one of those like, oh, I know who you are. I think you were like, I think I know who you are, but it was like, we didn't really know each other, but we kind of had a lot of similar friends bumping yeah. around.
2: I mean, that's just the way of how London Mm. works anyway in wellness. But I remember, Michael, I was doing the social media for this wellness event, which was Good Roots event, and I had to collect pictures of you prior to the the chat, um, to your talk, and learn about you and all the other guests that were on on that day. And I remember researching you and thinking, wow, this guy is so cool wow what a what a great man um and then when I met and you with Emily and I thought oh my gosh this is like royalty I just walked in this is royalty and I guess I still feel the same still oh. feel the same way
1: well I can tell you it wasn't royalty it was just someone wandering, and going am I in the right room <laughs>
0: You really tickled me with your description of Sarah doing something at a wellness event. That's, that's like the best description I've ever heard. Sarah, she just does something at wellness events always.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's always there. She knows everybody and she's around and she has this big, beautiful smile. And it's all these conversations and kind of, it is that thing. Like everyone's a bit one or two degrees separated from each other. And everyone's kind of worked on something with someone or with someone on this other thing and all these kind of things. So it's been really nice over the past, you know. I mean, For me, the last 10 years since I've lived in London, to kind of see it come from nothing to what it is now.
2: Yeah. Mm. And obviously, since then, since my, Michael's meeting all those years ago, Michael has been my teacher, my mentor, my guide for almost all of my yoga teacher trainings. So he is yeah, a big figure in my life. So it's really, really lovely to have you, Michael.
1: Oh, well, it's nice to be here. And as I always say, I don't have favourites. I just have people I like to hang out with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, but you're my favorite.
1: You know, I'm a very diplomatic person.
0: <laughs> Michael's winking on the video. <laughs> um, okay, Michael, can you remember what your three favorite ingredients were?
1: Well, when you first asked me this, it was quite a while ago. And I can't remember, but I feel like my instinct would say maybe the close or similar things, which would be probably, you know, I call it eggplant. You guys call it aubergine. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm playing like a guessing game of Jeopardy or something. It was like. This is correct. It was that. It was, might've been corn.
0: No, No. incorrect. Uh -uh. I would have liked that though. I like corn. I want someone to give me corn for a recipe.
1: I feel like people tend to go glamorous with questions like this. And I quite like kind of like corn, peas, eggplant, like maybe like more simplistic things. But again, I guess the complexity isn't what you do with it. Um, Yeah. I mean so am I giving you new if I, am I giving you ones I remember now or am I trying to guess what I remember that No
0: I can tell you what they were cuz we've done a okay. recipe using those ones so I'm afraid oh, it's too late to change No
1: I'm sure what I gave <laughs> you had a lot of thoughtfulness behind it because I was really excited about delicious recipes Yeah So
0: you said aubergine, rice and broccoli
1: That's great Really Is happy there with there any
0: reason in particular why you chose those three?
1: because if you put all three in your mouth at the same time it's delicious
0: that's the best answer ever <laughs> nobody's ever said that before and I like yeah, that it's
2: the best <laughs> answer ever we've never had a, yeah we've never had an answer like
0: that it's been like well I grew Normally, up which is a like, lovely answer my grandma used to cook these amazing carrots no they just taste good
1: I mean I'm sure they all have sentimental stories in some way but for me it's a bit like you know we have the We have the gift of being able to eat a few times a day. And so oftentimes it's just nice to focus on maybe when it all goes in, does it taste wonderful? And usually with those three things, any way you put it together is wonderful. And so then obviously if you guys add an expert's flavor on top of it, I'm really looking forward to it
0: yeah and wow have we created a recipe for you michael this was one of (laughs) our favorites we made you miso roasted aubergine with rice and tender stem broccoli and edamame beans in a peanutty satay soy saucy limey dressing and it was amazing i don't want to toot our own horns but it was pretty bloody good oh that's
1: so good wonderful it was
0: yeah and
2: um yeah. We'll send you the recipe because mm. I feel like you're a big foodie, Michael, but you don't really shout about it or is who yeah, does the uh, cooking with you. No, I mean, so of?
1: I, I grew up doing a lot of, of cooking. My mom's a very, very good cook. Um, probably my early aspirations were to be a chef and in kind of that vein. Um, and so I've always been in the kitchen. Um, you know, my family's pretty handy around the kitchen with, um, kind of food and technique and ingredients. Um, Most people don't know this. I I did little stints at like culinary school. I've done a lot of training Mm. in it. Um, I was quite uh I was quite infatuated with cooking when I was kind of in my teenage years. And so not only was it kind of something I really spent time developing, but then I kind of learned different techniques. But also I come from a family of green grocers. So my grandpa my grandpa on my dad's side, um, him and his brother had a fruit and veg shop back in like the twenties. And then my grandpa on my mom's side had a, a big vegetable farm in New Zealand. And so I grew up, well, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, but you'd go to the farm every uh, couple times a year. It's called the, it was called the market garden. And so we would be out there, you know, eight years old chopping cauliflower, or we had a shop on the farm. So you'd be like six years old trying to ring up the till and bag the bag the, <laughs> you know, stock the broccoli and bag the vegetables. And so I've always been around kind of food and fresh produce and it's kind of
2: a very kind of
1: natural place for me to be
2: yeah that sounds lovely what a lovely upbringing Mm. i would love to spend my life around vegetables
1: yeah, it was really nice. And it's one of those things you don't realize until you're obviously a bit older and it's kind of, and maybe it's, you know, you go to visit the grandparents. And obviously at that point I had like uncles who were probably our age who were like, oh, look, there's free help here. And so, you know, you'd spend six hours restacking all the bananas or redoing <laughs> all the oranges or re whatever, or six hours, you know, chopping down, you know, pulling potatoes or chopping cauliflower and it was just kind of maybe something to do but it gave you a really beautiful kind of connection to the earth Mm. and connection to the food and then obviously uh, my mom and all the aunts and uncles were really good cooks as well and so everything was really about kind of make the food that you grow
2: yeah which is such a big thing and something we talk about a lot on this podcast maybe about six months ago thought of this really lovely way to bring food and gratitude in together and to kind of look at what you're eating before you eat it. And you can do this wherever you are. You know, if you're at a restaurant, if you've been cooking yourself, if someone else has cooked for you and think about every single ingredient that has gone into that plate of food and think just like the the journey it's been on the people that have grown that. And it's a really meditative thing. And I was doing it and I kind of fell off the wagon of myself forcing myself to sit down and do it. But it's a really beautiful practice to sit before you eat and look at every single thing. It might be, you know, like cinnamon powder or salt or pepper, garlic, all of these flavors that have gone into food is a really lovely little thing. So for listeners, give it a go. Give it a go. (laughs) You're both just staring at me like, Sarah, why have you gone off into tangents?
0: Because I don't want to tell you that you told everyone that last season. Did I actually? Yeah, oh my you gosh. used to do it after we spoke to, it was some, it was either Anna Greenland or Henrietta Inman. That was oh like my, your thing. Dear. You did it every day. You posted about it on Instagram every day. Well, if you're listening for the first time, there's something new. <laughs> but you're right. It's a lovely thing to do. And you know it what? Is. I'm going to start doing it today. I mean, it's really nice.
1: It's a really nice moment, though, as well. And it's actually something that a lot of people aren't uncommon to. And, you know, that kind of farm to table moment of gratefulness is really meaningful to kind of recognize the food. But for a lot of people, a, a lot of cultures, you know, around the world, a lot of communities around the world will always take moments. At the beginning mm. of the meal, right? Whether it's a cultural relevant or religious background, there's moments of appreciation, moments of connection, moments of acknowledgement. And it, it serves a similar purpose. And maybe perhaps for the times that we live in, it's actually, dare I say, even a more relevant one to actually have this really beautiful appreciation of, of how, how we got here.
0: Mm. it's so nice and you're right because otherwise we just sit down like little piggies and scoff all our food down really really quickly and then get back to work and most of the time people don't give it any thought where it's come from or the people who've worked to get that food onto your plate yeah exactly exactly so that's that nice, babe isn't it? love it thank you
2: michael we want to start by speaking about something you, i mean you probably haven't moved away from this but what you first Brought light into, well, when I was aware of it, boys into yoga, men into yoga. And you really kind of drove this movement. I mean, you have a book on it of bringing yoga, quote unquote. I mean, at the time, I think it was more asana into what am I trying to say, into men's lives and making it kind of cool for men to do yoga. And I I mean, I, at the time thought, wow, this is so great. And it's, it was at a time where it was rare to see men in studios. Um, I mean, I know we've spoken about on the podcast is still, there is still quite a big divide in studios, Um, but we wanted to speak more about it on the level of kind of self-care for men because there's this big conversation that has been for a long time of you know women and self-care and women and yoga and meditation Mm -hmm. um and it's like oh yeah that's priority but for men it's kind of pushed to the side a little bit so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and kind of why it's so important to have the conversation for both men and women equally and all genders
1: no absolutely I mean it I mean, it very much comes from the essence of that project. And and that was one of the earlier projects that was really focused around changing a narrative. And I think for a lot of my work, it's very much about how do we build and celebrate communities, change narratives and make it more inclusive for people. Mm. Now, when, when I was, when I first came to the UK 10 years ago, I'd come from five years in Australia and then grew up in Los Angeles. And so in that kind of wave of wellness and yoga and meditation, mindfulness and self-care, you know, I, I had spent a lot of time in communities where it was further ahead and conversations were wider and people were just more aware of these types of things. And so coming into this country at that time, it was very, uh, there was a lot of resistance to shifts and changes because there is a, there was a lot of kind of, well, that's what yoga is and that's who should be doing it. And then there was this kind of place on the outside where people go, Oh yeah, well, you know, there's women in my life who do that. I go to the pub or I go play sports, I go to the gym, all these kind of like natural narratives that uh, like it or not are, you know, we're up against hundreds and thousands of years of societal kind of stereotypes. You know, men are, have been and continually are raised to believe that, you know, you are strong, you are silent, you don't do those activities because they're for the girls, whatever it is, you play sports, you don't do this. And there was always you do this and you don't do this. I think quite uh, in a wonderful way, obviously in the past few years, you know, narratives are starting to shift and things are changing, but it, it, it does come from that rooted place of, you know, we, society's, you know, grow children or young men into believing that there's a certain way that they should be and there's certain things they shouldn't do mm. and so what that tends to do is it, it kind of loads a lot of men with certain elements of um, false realities of what they should be acting like or what good looks like or what their essence should be fulfilled as and so when we look at that project it was very much how do we actually change the narrative by changing the conversation but also by changing the way and we see the conversation and it and 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 I'm really appreciative of those earlier years of that project because it was in many ways regarded as something quite revolutionary because it was kind of like taking a different approach of the project or uh, of the practice. And there was a lot of kind of uh, support around it, um, because it was something so different. It was arguably cooler, younger, uh, fresher. It was conversations that people could see themselves in, but actually for me, it wasn't overly overtly new because this is the world I came from in Australia. This is the world I came from in LA. It was surf culture, skate culture, beach culture, you know, uh, lifestyle kind of reframing and so you know what it was was just a chance to celebrate the practice in the way that i grew up in it the way that i experienced it and to kind of almost try to say to a lot more guys hey this is what you know this isn't this isn't different it's just something you might not have seen and a lot of times in those earlier years i always talked about it it's really just about you know You know, we spend our lives looking left and it was just a moment to look right and go, actually, you know, if you look right and you widen your perspective and you widen your vision, you actually see that it's a lifestyle and there's a place where people can all connect, men and women and anyone else who kind of feels that there's a space for this connection. And that's really what self-care and the need for it has to come from is this place of you know, a widened awareness, right? More space to actually acknowledge that There's more things out there that actually can support us and to move away from stereotypes, cliches, expectations, and not be limited by maybe what we're taught or maybe what we're told or what we see, or just because we don't even see ourselves in it doesn't mean that we can't find our place within it. But in the spirit of what we were doing or what I was doing with that was, is that oftentimes we work together you know, we work better together and we work better as we as we do things and support each other. And because I was comfortable in that space and I had friends who were comfortable in that space is if we can start to show maybe this space is belonging for everyone it then gives other people permission it opens more doors to say actually you know you think everyone's coming through the front door but actually we can all go through the side door or you know you guys can come through the back door but actually it doesn't matter how you get into the house or the studio or the party it's a bit like once you're inside you're having a good time but so many times you think the front door's locked or it's just not the type of house you can go into
2: yeah so the making it accessible for all I mean, and that's something I also fully, 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 fully believe in. Um, But it's it's so interesting, isn't it, how as a gender stereotype, men haven't or have been brought up, as you said, to stay quiet, and they haven't got that kind of outlet to, to speak to others. So in a way, it's kind of even more important that we allow men to step in and feel and you know be vulnerable and be emotional and to have this safe space which I do think lives within in the in the wellness in the yoga space I mean in everything as well but to be able to have that time to reflect to think and to connect I think it's
1: And I think a lot of it now is this kind of moment of expansion and there's it's conversation like this and people like you guys and a lot of other people in the community who are really actively making these spaces accessible. And I think that's really important. And I think that has to continue to for people to know that they're welcomed, but also at the same time, uh, kind of part of it is this unknown quantity yet of there has to be people on, let's say, my side of it, the men's side of it, or the people who are struggling with kind of mental health or people who need the support. We need to see ourselves. Step mm-hmm. into these spaces. We need to see people who look like us, or or feel like us, or are going through what we're going to step into these spaces. Because you know, it's 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 one part. A big part of it is to be welcomed in these spaces. And you know, five years ago, these spaces weren't welcoming. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, as we're saying, a lot of these kind of wellness yoga spaces weren't welcoming for men. It was like this is our space. You guys have your space. And now that it is very welcoming, and everyone knows it is really uh, you know important that everyone come to the table with conversation and space to kind of grow there also be people who are actively saying you know what this is important let's move into this space I'm going come with me you know and a lot of times that takes certain types of people personalities of people some people are just built to take the first step forward by themselves where other people need to know that someone's taken a step that they can follow
0: yeah thinking man. about the physical space of a yoga studio even as a woman a couple of years ago, I would have been incredibly intimidated walking into a yoga space. So I can't imagine what it would be like for a guy walking in when it is already a room full of women. I think Mm. yoga spaces can be kind of, I mean, obviously it's been a long time since I've been to one, but can be kind of hostile and can be kind of, you know what I mean? Like if you weren't six foot and doing a handstand, who were you? Yeah.
1: And the reality is a a yoga studio or I mean, arguably a lot of other kind of fitness and wellness modalities are intimidating spaces. If you don't look the part, if you don't know what's going on, if it's your first time, if you don't know anyone there, you know, it's a bit like your first day of school times 10, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you got to figure out how to get there and, you know, what you want to kind of, you know, go there for, but at the same time, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing a lot of these practices like yoga and this is kind of where i'm a big advocate of this and i know sarah is as well as there's a lot of assumed knowledge like oh come on to class everyone come into child's pose sorry what <laughs> right or oh you know the amount of times people will go into like a fitness class and go grab this item i'm gonna go a lot of fitness class grab this item and you're like I don't know what that item is, but then now they're already running off to the next thing and you're just kind of like walking around like a do I have the thing? And then, you know, and then <laughs> and and all, you know, it's that thing. It is this important thing for teachers, for leaders, for people who are kind of leading conversations like you guys are, like a lot of teachers are to go, actually, this it needs to be an accessible space first, so to really keep their head up and go, oh, well, Serena looks like she's new. That's not a bad thing. Hey, come on in, have a chat, what's going on? Everything's okay these are things you might need to know. If you don't know, just let me know, you know, and and that, that has to be for me, the essence of what these practices are. It's not, can you put your foot in this place or can you lift this thing or run at this speed? It's, can you create a space that's welcoming because the aspect of wellness starts from people feeling like they're they're you know, they belong. They feel like they're comfortable in those spaces. All the physical stuff is the bonus, right? That's the added value. Mm. People come to places like that to feel good, First, right emotionally as well as as feel safe, they feel seen, um, or they have a space to step away. But if it's purely too focused on what I would call like the techniques or the the output, you know, then actually it doesn't create the space to actually get the full benefits from any of those spaces.
2: Mm. Every human, whatever gender, deserves to find that that place in themselves. Fight deserves to you know feel at home in themselves.
0: And whilst we're talking about the physical aspect of yoga, I think that there's obviously still quite a common misconception in the Western world that like, that is yoga, you know, getting on your mat and doing your stretches, that's yoga. Why is it really important that we are adopting or at least acknowledging the other aspects of yoga, a full yoga practice? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's the common conversation with yoga, and I'm sure you guys have had this before, kind of as as you kind of discuss it more and more with lots of people, is that the physical side of yoga is the easiest place to get your head around. It's the most tangible part of the practice, and so often is the first way in for a lot of people, because it's immediate, it's instant. There's a gratification of moving, there is a straight line between if I do this, I feel this but you know yoga as a practice it has a lot more kind of you know has a lot more to it a lot more space to it a lot more depth to it and the beauty of it is recognizing that actually as humans we're not just physical beings of course you know there's aspects of our mind there's emotions or our well-being there's stress there's anxiety there's joy there's happiness there's all these other things that actually don't relate as directly to can we lift our arm and can we touch our toes and so when you think about it in that aspect, the the rest of the practice, when we talk about our concentration, our values, when we talk about our breath, when we talk about our focus, when we talk about the sense of finding a state of quietness or bliss, as we would call it, that's actually the stuff that actually helps people find a deeper realization To their own growth, right? You know, oftentimes we don't hike a mountain just so we feel physically effortful. We hike the mountain so we feel a sense of accomplishment. We have a sense of focus. We get to the top and we appreciate a view. And all these other aspects of life kind of can find their way back to the practice when we actually give a bit more time on the rest of the practice or the complete practice. And I think now we're in this really interesting time of yoga, especially in the UK, where people are starting to appreciate that the rest of our lives are quite busy, hectic, frantic anxious, uncertain, right? This year is a good example of that, of course. And so, you know, running around the block or stretching for 20 minutes doesn't fulfill all of our needs for support and security. And it's actually becoming a bit more aware of what else we can do to support that, our mental health, our well-being, our mind, all of these things, you know, the physical practice can be a nice vehicle for it, but it's oftentimes it's the rest of things in the car that actually take you on the, the journey.
0: Mm.
2: And it is such, I mean, yeah, as Serena said, you know, we do in the Western world think of, oh, I practice yoga, therefore I practice asana, I move my body physically, but it is the tiniest little part of the practice. And I think that's why it's really important that we do all acknowledge that, you know, that in order to practice yoga, you don't have to be able to touch your toes or do a handstand. In order to practice yoga, you can sit with yourself. You can, you know, learn philosophy and you can open your mind to all of these other ways of life and that the practice on a physical level is the tiniest part in the world. And
1: yeah, I'll tell you a little anecdote and this is definitely not for on. me. And it's a nice kind of anecdote kind of quote. Um is a teacher, I believe he lives in Germany now, but I think he's American. His name's Cameron Shane. He comes between Germany and the US and he's quite a big bold, brash kind of personality. So I think he's got quite a strong personality and, um, but also a very kind of spiritual practice. And what he talks about is, you know, yoga is obviously more than the physical practice. It's more the handstands and more of those things. And he's like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, yoga is how you act and how you behave, because there's a lot of people who can do a handstand that are still an asshole yeah Um, absolutely and so in that sense as we recognize that the practice has to be more than that it has to widen kind of our perspective and deepen the qualities of what it means to be kind supportive empathetic compassionate all these kind of things that actually are more important in life than actually the physical output yeah
0: i Um, love the handstand asshole thing (laughs) Obviously, meditation, mindfulness is getting thrown around a lot, especially with um, the whole conversation around mental health. And there are some amazing apps out there and there's some really great info on how to start. But I know that so many people still find it really, really difficult to sit still. Do you have any practical tools, any wisdom that you can share for people who know, know the benefits and want to receive the benefits, but are really struggling to get into it?
1: Yeah, with with mindfulness and meditation, obviously we separate them. First is maybe an approach and a practice, but you know there's a lot of conversation out there and a lot of tools out there. Lots of different um, meditation and mindfulness apps. I mean, there's there's lots of classes. There's lots of things, right? And and at the end of the day, those are all items or actions or things that we can do. These practices have to first start from a come. They have first have to come from a place of intention, a place of do I want to feel a bit more comfortable or at ease? Do I, do I want to be less anxious? Do I want to f- be less stressed? Right. And a lot of times without that self-awareness or that intention, we jump too quickly to how do I solve this? What do I do next? And that's a lot of times where the resistance or the challenge comes from is that you jump from, let's say problem to solution without problem consideration and, and then action. And so when you jump to a solution, that's where the challenge comes. Cause you go, Oh, I'm feeling really stressed. Let's do this, this meditation thing. And then you get frustrated and it doesn't work. And then you, then you quit after a day or two purely because you didn't, you didn't get the results you wanted. You didn't win straight away. And so for me, I always come from the advocacy and this is coming from the advocacy as well that, you know, obviously we have our meditation app, we do classes, we do courses, but it's also not the first thing I'm going to tell people. And it's an easy first thing for me to say, Oh, you want to get into it? download the app or come to a course. But it's actually, if you want to find this level of mindfulness in, in yourself or in your life, you actually need to find basic and simple ways already that exist and to recognize how that makes you feel. And so one of the things that I'll always say, and it's kind of a little mantra that I share is find a quiet corner in your house. So it could be your favorite place on the sofa. Or it could be the window you sit next to. It could be the place, you know, like your little armchair, like Sarah has on the balcony. Like You just have these places in your house that you know, this is my little spot, right? and then when you have those places and you recognize them and you kind of make them a bit more sacred right you You, you, you know, you, this is a place for this, this is my reading area. Not this is kind of like, this is where I sit to watch TV, but you know, everyone in their own homes and we've learned this just here, you have kind of your little favorite area, your favorite little cushion, your favorite little blanket, your whatever it is, right? You know, your, your picture that faces this way and your candle that faces this way. We all have those little things, but the moment we become aware that these little quiet corners are sacred for us. And then we say, okay, well, this is a a place I feel safe place that I feel comfortable, place I feel secure, then it's about visiting them more often. And so straight away, then you, your body and your brain goes, okay, this is a place where I don't need to be on edge. This is a place I don't have to be so defensive. This is just my little, and it could literally be a small corner facing the wall next to a plant. It doesn't need to be grand. But the moment the body experiences this sense of supportiveness or this sense of um, sacredness In a place we're really really familiar with and we can control it sends signals to the mind to say actually we know what this experience feels like and so then when you start to maybe go to a yoga class or a meditation class or you download an app and you do uh you know a little guided meditation you have this kind of experience you've already lived now you can layer on top technique and um, information and education and that's then going to deepen that experience but if we don't have a first natural experience then we kind of set ourselves up for a little bit of challenge or potential failure because we're too busy with the expectation or the desire of of accomplishment as opposed to just a sustained experience
2: yeah I think that's such an important point to reiterate again that so many people step into meditation thinking there's an outcome at the end of this I will feel Mm -hmm. less stressed, less anxious. And it's like some, I mean, and I even had this idea that stepping into meditation suddenly meant that you were Yoda, you know, you were (laughs) going to be enlightened by the end of it. You were going to levitate, but it's, it is just sitting with yourself and experiencing time out of the busyness and time into the, to the quiet spaces. And I think that yeah, what you said, Michael is so spot on because so many people I know say, I can't sit still. I can't sit still. So having, setting yourself up is. Yeah. And and that's the thing is really a lot of
1: times good. people look at these practices, looking for a big experience or a grand outcome or a big shift. Um, and I kind of talk about it in that same way as it's kind of like brushing your teeth, expecting fireworks. It's a bit like, well, brush your teeth you, you you don't naturally go this is amazing right or that you know you just do it and then you do it regularly and the after effect or the rest of your day you know you go oh yeah wow i feel like i have a clean mouth food tastes better i brush my teeth yeah but because meditation is so new for a lot of people we're expecting massive things to happen or big shifts and revelations and it's really just about putting yourself on a path to appreciate quiet time or a little quiet moment so the rest of your life can actually enjoy the effect of the practice
2: yeah it's so funny you mentioned the toothpaste thing because i wrote it in our notes and i said that um i said that you once said and this is me paraphrasing We don't wait around until we get rotten teeth to then start brushing our teeth. So why would we wait to do that with our meditation practice? And it's this, yeah, small daily habits to live well for our whole lives yeah and that's the thing is these
1: practices need to be proactive instead of reactive or um you know uh, prehab instead of rehab a lot of times people come to practices like mindfulness and meditation or yoga or fitness because something's gone wrong Mm -hmm. Um, they're too stressed they have an injury things are chaotic and then oh now i should go do this and the reality is, is exactly that: is if you wait until it becomes crisis management, then inevitably you're going to have crisis in a shift of a new kind of experience. But if you put it in, in a preventative way, or in a way that actually becomes integrative to supporting your well being, or your or your physical well being, then it actually it becomes nothing about crisis management and about kind of um, you know just well being kind of consistency.
0: Hmm. i always say that to my clients as well maintenance is so much easier than cure like Mm -hmm. investing in maintenance is so much cheaper than waiting until you hit rock Mm -hmm. bottom and then having to get all the help and support to lift you back up it's less effort it takes less time it's so much better just to look after yourself but because of like Western medicine, quick fix pills, we wait until we're on our knees yeah. and then we're like, I need a plaster, I need some medication, I need to be yeah. fixed. If you look after yourself, you often don't reach that point of needing fixing.
1: Exactly. I mean, these practices are the ultimate insurance plan. Yeah. Right? Most of us, you get a certain point in your life and you're paying insurance on something, whether it's your phone, your house, your whatever, and you pay small little incremental bits kind of every month and you go, well, it's probably not going anywhere. What's, what am I doing this for? But then the moment you drop your phone in the toilet, you're like, well, I'm glad I've got insurance because actually it's not that big of a deal. I'll just get a new phone. Right. Yeah. And if you don't have insurance and then you drop your phone in the toilet, it's a world of misery
2: yeah and it's beautiful that like this the practice of meditation or the quack the, the, the
0: practice
1: practice. <laughs> the
2: practice of being silent and sitting is free I mean guided meditations mm-hmm. not always free and that's wonderful and but to sit with yourself and close your eyes and watch your breath and listen to your body it is free mm-hmm. how amazing.
1: and that's really important to recognize that most things in the wellness world uh and again maybe i'll be a bit blasphemous in saying this are very accessible to do yourself they're free to accomplish or to 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 acknowledge and to try you know where the value comes with working with teachers or experts or professionals is just refining techniques that actually Mm. make it um, a better experience or more meaningful one and i think ultimately though and i mean sarah will Know this as, as teachers, and if I come from a teaching point of view, you know, ultimately our ambition as teachers is to make our students self sustainable right? It's not mm-hmm. to have them be with us forever. It's to say, how can I support you? So you feel comfortable supporting yourself. And when we do that, whether it is yoga or meditation or anything, you know, eating well, you know, we don't want people to just come. Like, I don't need you to come to me for three meals a day, seven days a week to, to know how to eat well. I want you to take it upon yourself to Take the guidance, but then to realize for yourself that the experience, the knowledge, the education allows you to do it yourself, to be sustainable, to live without the need of other people telling you exactly what's good for you because you learned it, you felt it, you've experienced it, and now it's important to you.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, Michael, we obviously have to chat to you about your brilliant new book, and we wanted to say thank you so, so much for sending us a copy. It was really, really kind of you. Um, I particularly love that you keep making and sending little paper cranes because I remember at school when I was bored sitting making them in every lesson and I'd like leave them in each classroom and I'm sure that there is some lovely significance to them that I had no idea about Uh, but it would be great if you could just tell everyone a little bit about your book which I have to admit I'm really sorry I haven't actually got around to starting but I cannot wait to get into it because it is a beautiful book.
1: Oh well, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's it's a wonderful little book, and it's very simple and gentle. And that was the whole essence of it: is creating a way in which people have a little bit of what I tend to call gentle wisdom and a little bit of, um, you know, lovely support. I mean, it's a book you can flick open and just read. You know, there's a lot of, and I think there's about thirty or forty little short stories in there. There's nothing more in there that's kind of two or three pages long in a, in a chunk. And the whole essence with it, and it kind of brings together two really beautiful things. One is the practice of mindfulness, um, and kind of maybe the some some learnings or experiences that I wanted to share. And the other side is the tradition of folding paper cranes. And and, and what I love about it is, you know, most people have some sort of a. uh uh, connection with paper cranes whether you did it in school there's this kind of beautiful nostalgia that goes with it or you've seen them in you know somewhere but they ultimately have this kind of really delicate sense of hopefulness you know they are a universal sense of hope um and they now carry within it kind of a really beautiful kind of you know a a global perspective of that it is a symbol of hopefulness for a lot of people you know it comes from an ancient tradition and there's this practice that if you fold a thousand cranes in a year you know, ancient tradition says you're granted a wish um, for, you know, health and well-being, long life, good fortune. And at the same time, the practice of folding cranes is very much a, a great, tangible, real-world example of being mindful, being present, taking your time, slowing down. And one of the things that we always forget is that sometimes if we are busy people and we're, you know, we have a busy life, and then someone says, oh, you should rest, oh, you should slow down, you're like, well... Oh you sit for five minutes, you're like, I need to do something. Yeah. And so part of this is the remembrance that sometimes in order to help people slow down, you, sh- you need to give them something else to do, but it just needs to be slower. It needs to be at a slower speed. And so what brings this book together is this idea that if we can use the paper cranes as a symbol of hope, But also as maybe a physical metaphor for mindfulness, it gives us something to learn or to remember as we kind of learn through the steps of folding the crane, which is in there as well. But at the same time, all the the really kind of gentle themes throughout the book that kind of bring a lot of these kind of universal wisdoms to life, that just what I kind of think about is it shouldn't be teaching you anything, but just reminding you of all the things you already know and maybe just said in a different way that maybe land a bit gentler, but also give you that kind of encouragement to say, yeah, this is important.
2: Mm. I've got one of your beautiful quotes and cards in front of me, one that just stuck out to me this morning. And it was, if you cannot find something to be thankful for, you are moving too fast. Hmm what a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you for saying that. And, and
1: it's so true though. I mean, that in its own right has a lot of, you know, resonance to it because we can think if we are moving so fast and doing a million things, you just kind of go and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Mm -hmm. And we forget to pause and go, wow, that's something to appreciate. And that's what was really important in the book is that there is, you know, there's a lots and lots of little quotes like that throughout the book, little proverbs and meditations and poems that hopefully, if done well, have just you know, take bigger concepts and just pull them down to a little one liner that kind of stay with you.
0: Like Sarah said, in the good weather, it's really difficult to work. And I'm looking at my sunny garden being like, oh, I could cancel everything this afternoon and sit and read Michael's book in the sun. <laughs> Since we need to be taking it slow to appreciate the good things, Absolutely. oh, sounds dreamy. Shall we finish off, friends,
2: with your healthy habit, Michael? And it's probably a, a, an obvious one, but a beautiful one. So please, may you share?
1: Yeah, for me, you know, maybe it is an obvious one, but quiet and stillness. I think these days, more than ever, we, we need to all be a bit proactive with that. And I think life can sweep us up in a bit of a momentum of actions and accomplishments. And you know, for me, it's really important to have a dedicated moment of quiet and stillness which are two very similar, but also two very different things, right? You can be quiet and still, you know, clean your house for two hours and you can be quiet and still try to pack, you know, seven boxes and answer 19 emails, but quiet and stillness together have a really powerful combo of letting the mind soften and letting the body Kind of have permission to, non, to not do. And, you know, for me, I, I do that quite regularly. I mean, I do that quite a lot through the day these days, but I think having that as a dedicated practice is important. And so whether it is 20 minutes of a meditation as a technique and as a specific practice, that's wonderful. Or if it's literally, like I said before, 20 minutes of just going to sit in your little corner and allowing yourself to just be still. You know, not reading, not watching TV, not being on your phone, just getting familiar with that kind of experience of what it's like to just have nothing to do and being okay with it and actually restraining a lot of times the mind to go, no, we don't need to figure out the shopping list. No, we don't need to plan the rest of the day. Just, you know, stare at the wall, <laughs> right? Let yourself wander, right? Enjoy those moments and. <laughs> for me, that's a really important healthy habit and something that I really think is important for everyone that we should be doing now more than ever. Mm. Beautiful.
2: Michael, thank you so much. How can everyone find you and celebrate your book with you and breathe with you and meditate with you? Please tell us all.
1: The best way to find me is probably through social or through websites. I mean, uh, Michael James Wong is my full name, so everything usually points there. Um, But if you're looking at things that are interesting or uh, about mindfulness or meditation, we have our Just Breathe app, which has lots of kind of practices, like I said, that you can use as support. Um, If you're interested in things that are yoga related, there's the Boys of Yoga Project, which has a lot of stories and inspiration. There's also a book with that. Or if you're a yoga teacher. And you're looking to deeper dive into kind of your, your practices, the techniques, and your learning. Um, we have Sunday School Yoga, which is all of our advanced and basic trainings for 200 hours and 300 hours. Um, and then, of course, with the book that's just come out, which is called Send Mizuru Small Steps to Hope, Healing, and Happiness. Um, it is available pretty much everywhere now on all of your mm-hmm. online retailers. And I think now about 30 countries around the world so wherever you're listening to you, you probably can just type it in and wherever you get books and it should pop up for you
0: you're a busy Yay. man oh my goodness it's been so thank lovely so, to meet so you thank you so so much michael
1: beautiful all right guys we'll see you soon
0: Thank you so, so much, Michael, for joining us. It was such a pleasure to meet him because I've heard so much about Michael through Sarah. And it was really incredible to hear all his insights on meditation and the importance of stillness. Meditation has played a huge part in my journey, my mental health journey, my wellness journey. So it's really great to have people out there explaining why it's so useful and helping us to get into that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I completely agree, Serena. And I also just want to add on the end of this episode that people often say, Oh, I'm too busy to meditate. And it's a it's a big thing. You know, if you have kids, if you've got a busy life, it can feel like that is the last thing you want to do. But even taking two minutes to to close your eyes and just be silent and still can be so, so beneficial. And if you would like the recipe for today's episode, the delicious miso roasted aubergine salad, you can find it on our Instagram at kitchen club Podcast. And if you'd like to know more about Michael, we'll leave all of his details and his platforms in the show notes. If you'd also like to begin practicing meditation and want some guidance, then Michael's app, Just Breathe, is really brilliant, really recommend. But also, if you want to stay close to home, Serena has many, many guided meditations on her Instagram, at Serena Louth. And I also have lots of guided meditations, as well as yoga classes on my membership platform at home with Sarah so little little plug for those and we'll leave all of the details on how you can practice with us in the show notes too.
0: Thanks for listening goodbye bye
2: Small details are big surfaces. tight corners are odd shapes flat, rounded textured or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.